0: real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, 10to8.com. If you own a business, you likely need a way to schedule appointments. The service I use and recommend is 10 to 8. What I like about them is they offer a generous free option that allows you to take payment for appointments. Other amazing features include appointment reminders via email and SMS and two-way client chat. 10to8 integrates with Zoom, Microsoft Teams, online payment providers, calendar apps, and more. To learn more, go to 10to8.com forward slash frugalpreneur. That's 10to8.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is from the MillennialMoneyQueens.com, Maria Alcantara. Welcome to the show. Thank you so
1: much, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Can you give the listeners a little bit of your background and history?
1: Of course. So I originally I'm from Brazil. I grew up, I was raised and grew up in Brazil. And as most people know, Brazil is kind of like the poster child for the extremes in, in wealth and poverty, right? So I grew up seeing a huge contrast. And it marked me from a really young age. So from my earliest days, I remember I wanted to do something about this. I wanted to help people with their finances. So I didn't have to see so much suffering. It's just, it's really hard to see people who have barely have enough to go by. And that often comes because they don't have education. They don't have the education to create the opportunities because opportunities, I believe sometimes, yes, they're more difficult to come by, but we can create them once we have a little bit of a foundation and skills and financial education and that kind of stuff, which we'll go through in this episode. So my parents moved us from sunny Brazil to Canada, which was great, but had its own challenges. In Canada, I studied psychology and economics and That turned into finance overall and wealth management. So I spent 10 years building a career in wealth management and I became a financial advisor. That was really great. It's a great experience. The only thing is that it wasn't very fulfilling because I mean, you're helping people who already have a lot of money. So you're dealing with high net worth individuals, high net worth families. It's great. I got to learn a ton, but they weren't really the people that I was looking to help when it comes to money, right? They already kind of had it figured out. You're just helping them make more money, which is, it's always great, but I really needed A group who I can focus with, I take them from like negative or zero into creating wealth. So the more I researched, the more I found that young people, especially, they are really suffering financially because there's no financial education. I mean, I read some stats on it and and it's crazy. Like millennials have like a 26% rate of financial literacy. They don't get the basics of financials. So we're giving them loans. We're giving them credit cards. We're expecting them to get mortgages. We're telling them to get high end paying jobs. But they don't understand what to do with that money. And so they end up suffering financially for the longest time. So it all started really just as a game with my friends. I would sit down with them and we would chat and I would tell them, "You hey, tell me about your, your life. And they'd say, well, you're in wealth management. You can't help me. I said, you guys, like wealth is something that we create. It's I already saw there that there was a block. They didn't see themselves as wealthy or capable of creating wealth. And so we worked on all these blocks. We worked on their money psychology. And then we got to work on the money part and help them build plans. We worked on financial planning. We worked on starting businesses with them. And I saw the results are fantastic. So they said, you know, you should take this bigger and wider. And I said, well, no, it's a lot to handle. I already have a career. They said, no, you have to do something with this. And I said, you know what? Maybe you're you're right. So it all started online, right? I started sharing some information online. And it kind of just grew from there. And it took off. It's been a really great ride. And I wrote a book to help people understand what the process is and to help myself gain clarity. And we talked about this before, how does someone get started? And I think that you have to have clarity on your own process. So writing a book was a great exercise for that, because it helped me understand really what was my area of expertise, how can I explain it? And how can I Create a process that somebody can follow.
0: Awesome. So, how long have you been doing that now? It's been three years. Oh, wow. So, not very long mm-hmm. then. Wow.
1: No, not very long. So, 10 years in banking, wealth management, so on, and then three years doing a lot of coaching, a lot. The book took a long time to write. Well, writing itself, I find that depending on your listeners, I don't know what kind of products they create. I think writing a book is a great product because, again, helps you gain clarity, helps you establish yourself in your niche. It just takes time sometimes to put a product together. So after a few years in, in the corporate world, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go full on and on my business. And it's been a great ride. It's challenging, as you mm-hmm. know. You know, entrepreneurship has its ups and downs. But I believe it's something that really helps us grow in every sense, right, personally, financially mentally, creatively. So I I think it's something great. And I love that you have podcasts like this, where you encourage people, you give them the tools and you give them the information to help them through that journey. Mm
0: -hmm. So you were in finance, and you were just helping Mm -hmm. friends out, and they encouraged you to start coaching. So you've been doing that full time now for three years? Or do you still have the day job and do this? No,
1: no more day jobs, so left the corporate world altogether okay. that, yeah that altogether left has been about a, about a year oh, okay. um so I that took it took you know a good two years on the side of seeing whether this was sustainable and going through all of the beginning steps of starting a business, right? So what exactly am I doing? What's my niche? what can I offer? what products can I create out of this? So all that takes time as a new entrepreneur to figure out and I thought, you know, it's probably best if I keep my job and I didn't know. know what would be so i'm still building this career right i was at the time still building this corporate career so i thought let's keep it and see where this all goes and then at one point i said i have to go all in so goodbye corporate world no thank you i've had enough with you and uh, let's just go full on independently.
0: So I'm curious at what point or what was it that made you decide to go all in on your business? Was it that you were earning enough to replace your salary or at least enough to pay your bills? Or was it that you knew that you couldn't expand your business until you had the hours available that you were working your day job? I'm just curious, since you've, it's only been a year now, what was the kind of the deciding factor there? That's such
1: an important question because I think a lot of people ask themselves that and I did for a long time. It took me a long time to figure out when to take that step, when to make the full-time transition. I always had this idea, being a you know money girl, that I had to have a certain amount of money put away or in my bank account to make sure that I would be fine and that I would survive. It didn't quite work out that way. It's just that the hours that the business demanded just far exceeded what I could provide being in a full-time job. And then, you know, pandemic hit, I have a family at home, it just was too much to handle. And so I had to ask myself, you know what, I'm young, I have to decide where I want to invest my time right now. Do I want to continue on the corporate world, which, you know, will probably always be there. I could always go back if I really wanted to. Or do we take a leap of faith here? And do we see, let's give it ourselves a year or two and see where it goes. So yeah, I did have enough to carry me through until you know the business started to be able to carry me and pay all my bills and then make more and so on. But it wasn't the money that helped me decide when to go on full-time. It was really that the business needed the attention. And I was concerned that if I didn't give it the right attention that it needed, that all the work I had put in it so far would kind of been not too waste, but I wouldn't be making the most of it. I was gaining momentum and I really wanted to keep it rolling.
0: Okay. That makes sense. I was Mm -hmm. just curious since it had only been a year. I'm like, well, what was kind of the breaking point there? But that makes sense because when your business, because a lot of people, I think a lot of people probably listening, they might have a full-time job right now and they have a side Mm -hmm. hustle that they're trying to build up enough to become their full-time career or whatever. But I think there's always the challenge of figuring out when is the right time. But in your case, it seems like it was probably pretty obvious because if you didn't quit your full-time job and go all in on your business, then your business would have suffered and would have been kind of like backtracking in a way. So I think that's a helpful, I guess, something for people to keep in mind as yeah, as a metric.
1: There's this, for sure, there's this notion of burning your ship, you know? So let's say you're stranded in the ocean and so on and you get to an island. And then if you have a ship, you always have a way of kind of leaving the island, but you won't necessarily make a home there and so they say burn your ship so you have no choice and you have to make Mm. it work on this on this island right so i kind of see sometimes a side gig sort of like that so you have to see at what point can you fully make this your home at what point is a time where you scratch the backup plan which is for most people their plan a right now their job and say i'm gonna go on full-time where am i gonna burn my ship and say this has to be my home i have to make this work and it's funny because sometimes i'm not the hugest fan of so much added pressure but a little bit of added pressure and a little bit of positive stress, I think, can help people really get out of their comfort zones. And, you know, sometimes that phone call that they wouldn't necessarily make, that pitch that they would maybe be concerned to make when you have no other choice and you know that there won't be a paycheck coming in, you're going to say, you know what, I have to do my best. I have to give you my best shot because that leash, that paycheck is gone. And so I think it's important for your growth, too to consider, is this a time to do that? Is this, is it wise to do this? And what, if it doesn't work, then what can I do? Could I, you know, get a job in a year's time or whatever? Could I figure out a way financially where I can be stable? Because starting a business and having the added financial stress doesn't, doesn't help either, right? So you have to plan it out, but then say, okay, you know what, I, even if it's not comfortable, I will be okay for the next year. It's time to bring the ships. It's time to go all in and see what I can do. Let's show myself how far I can go.
0: I like that analogy of burning the ships. I don't know if you're familiar with the band for King and Country, but they have a song called Burn the Ships. And that is kind of a that concept of, I mean, I guess because that's what they used to do or say back in the, the day. If they did <laughs> they wanted to make sure that they weren't going to go back. They had to burn the ship so that they couldn't. So like you're saying, and I've heard that before that if you're working a full-time job and have a business on the side, not only do you not have as much time to work on your business because of your full-time job, but you're also not maybe as motivated because you don't have to work as hard on your business because you have that steady paycheck. Whereas once that's gone, you really have to crank it out. So with millennialmoneyqueens.com, I guess Mm -hmm. that is your coaching business. It's got like a blog and you have courses and whatnot. Can you explain the idea of, because I like that name, Millennial Money Queens, (laughs) the idea for it and what you what that site does sure so it all started with
1: i wanted to fully really remind myself with what's going on in the market like how do people feel about their money where is the biggest problem because as you know if you want to really do well in your business knowing your niche is like the most important thing and for the longest time i said you know i don't want to just focus on on women or the money queens or like i want it to be for everybody everybody needs help but everything i kept reading and learning and people who were helping me said you know it's really important that you figure out exactly who your perfect customer is who is that one person that's specific? Like, you know, you could give them an name. you could see them, you can, you know, their age, you know, their, what they do. Like you really have a perfect profile, like a customer avatar. Right. So then I said, started reading and finding out. And I, it really stood out that women are the ones that have the biggest challenges with financial education. This tends to come from the fact of it's not so long that we've been so exposed to money. Right. I mean, up until the seventies, we couldn't even get credit cards. So we have all of this societal baggage of Women and our our roles in society, our relationship to money, all this is kind of still playing in the background. So today, women won't even ask for a raise because they just I'm not saying this, you know, generally. I'm saying I've seen stories. I've heard statistics, I've talked to people. And it just seems like this was the specific group that needed the extra help. and, Being a millennial woman myself, I felt like it was easier for me to communicate with them. So that's how it started, figuring out the whole money queens. And the idea is to empower them financially. And that all starts with education. So we started with a book, giving them a very easy read that should happen, you know, over a weekend, just relax. Very easy because when I was studying to become a financial advisor, everything financially related was beyond putting me to sleep. And I am into finance. So I can imagine people that are not into finance they must be like I can't, I cannot, like, don't talk to me about saving, investing, mutual funds, and all of these acronyms that God knows what they mean. Like, it's just too much. And I said, if I feel like this, I can only imagine somebody who's not into it, right? So let's make it, let's translate it. Let's speak to them in a language that's easy and fun for them to understand, but that will give them the tools to really make a difference in their lives. And then a funny story happened, a friend of mine got a new job. So this happens to be a millennial guy and I'm super excited. And I say, Hey, congratulations. This is great. So my friends like to talk to me about their money. And so he started talking to me about salary and the benefits and stuff. Oh, That's fantastic. You know, congratulations. And he says, and you know, what's crazy, Maria. I spoke with the girl who was there before me, just to know like what was going on. It so happened that it was a millennial woman. She was making half the salary. Okay. Half for the exact same position. And then, you know, the story went, what's the difference? How come you're making double than this girl is making? And apparently this is just because he asked, he was able to negotiate it better. I mean, he didn't have, I love my friend, but the skill set wasn't that much beyond what she was able to do. And it was really just because he was willing to go up to management and say, Hey, you know what you want me? You got to pay me this much. And women apparently were not equipped to have those conversations. So the whole premise of money Queens is to give you all the tools so that you know, your value, you know, what you can bring. To the marketplace or to the workplace, whether you choose to stay employed, whether you want to negotiate a better salary, whether you want to start a business. So let's see what you can do with money in your life. How can it be a source of strength for you, not a source of stress? So we go through budgeting, we go through savings, we go through investing and starting a business. And we use a lot of technology so that this doesn't take up all of your time, right? Because we are busy enough as it is. And most people, they're not so passionate about this. It's not like they want to just create these portfolios and manage them all the time and be researching stocks and all these things. That it's just overwhelming, frankly. And a lot of people have debt. So I don't even want to talk about that. And that's one of the worst things that we can do is just to ignore these things. So we talk about it, we figure out a plan, we put it into action, we work with the money psychology, my background, again, is in psychology. So I really help you understand what your beliefs are. And then we go through all this process. And in terms of how we do that. So like I said, the book is just the starting point. And then we have a 21-day program. So it's really meant to go quickly. It's small actions every day to really build some momentum and help you feel like there's a change that happened in just those three weeks. And then it depends on the person. So some people prefer to have, you know, like a Zoom call and we'll have coffee together and they'll talk to me about their money situation and I help them build plans. We talk about it. We figure out where the stories are, where the blogs are, and I help them see things in a different way. And then it's kind of like that ongoing coaching thing and starting a business as well, all through that. It, it starts with the basic products and programs, and then we customize it depending on what everybody
0: needs. Well, awesome. Yeah, that that story. At first, I was thinking like he had just been offered twice as much. So do you think that I mean, statistics obviously show that women make less than men for even doing the exact same job, same experience, everything. 30 cents on the dollar, by the way. Well, and I've always assumed that that's because guys just, they offer them more right out of the gate. And maybe that's true some of the time, but it sounds like, is it more because women are afraid to ask for raises? Is that really what it comes down to?
1: It's a bit of both. So one, we're afraid to ask for raises. So we don't even, you know, try to push our boundaries. It's also because we bear the gift of bearing children. So, in terms of a salary, sometimes employers don't like that very much. That's why I try to encourage a lot of women to try to start something on their own because you can be a mother and you can run your own business. And that's a completely personal thing. I don't think that anybody should suffer financially because they choose to bring their life into this Mm -hmm. world. That's just a little ludicrous to me, but that's a whole different conversation, right? And so they don't ask and they're seen still not as valuable sometimes as an employee. Like companies will think, well, you know, she's going to have to take time off. She's going to be a mom or this. And even if she's not, then a lot of girls still choose not to. A lot of girls are choosing to not have kids and focus completely in their careers, sometimes they're seen as bossy or sometimes there are other terms that we don't even have to mention here. If they try to just push the boundaries a little bit. I think that as a society, we've kind of groomed our girls to just be quiet and follow the rules and kind of thing. Whereas men trying to push more and especially talking about money, girls are not so comfortable talking about money in general women just kind of shy away from it another statistic i read is that we won't even ask for money that's owed to us from anybody like a family a friend or whatever somebody owes you money there's nothing wrong with you asking to be paid back, or even with the women that I work with in my business, figuring out how to price things, they always underprice themselves. It's like, we don't feel like we're worthy of making more money of having our own money. And we have some trailblazers in our society that are showing us that obviously it's not the case for everybody. But the grand majority, they're still carrying on these beliefs. So it's a lot of mindset work. It's a lot of psychology work. And it's a lot of showing them what unique value they have and what they can bring. And showing them, do your research, see how much other people are offering for that same position. If you choose to stay employed, or if you're in business, go see what your competitors are charging. And you know what? You can charge more too. Just go and offer more value. There's nothing wrong. Offer something that's just going to be so amazing and it's going to help your customer. And it's actually going to make a difference. Like you don't have to feel bad when you talk about money, when you ask about money, and there's nothing wrong with making as much or more than anybody or a man, and you can actually become a better contributor, I believe, to society that way. You know, there's causes that we all believe in. When you make a little bit more, well, you can choose to support those causes. Like, for instance, part of our proceeds are always donated to helping educate girls because that's obviously a huge deal to me. And so whatever I make, and that's extra, I'm able to contribute to our world and make a difference. By doing that or environmental support, all these things that are important to me. So that's what it comes down to. It's just changing our mindset,
0: learning to ask for it, learning how to negotiate, not being afraid of rejection. So I'm curious if you have any tips for women who are still in a day job, or maybe they plan to stay there. Any tips for asking for a raise? Because I know that's certainly an area that I've struggled with too. I pretty much, I've never asked for a raise ever.
1: I struggle with that too. And I got turned down many times. Like it took so much courage. I was was there like sweating. I'm freaking out. I'm like, they're going to fire me. What are they going to (laughs) think? And then I got rejected. I'm like, all this for no, like, what's the deal? So yes, definitely we have, we build processes to help a lot of people go through that. So first things first is to find out what's your unique value. So we are all unique individuals, right? We have unique experiences. We have unique skill sets and just from our life. So it doesn't necessarily have to be academic. It could be something, just something you went through. Like, some people move, I move countries, that was a huge shift. So that helped me build a skill set that is unique to me compared to somebody who lived in the same country for the same time. And it's not one is better than the other. It's just that we are unique. So our generation is really mastering this on how to take what we have and make ourselves like multifaceted beings, multidimensional beings. So how can we make this a value in our workplace, right? So for instance, the fact that I am an immigrant, and the fact that I have a background in other cultures, well, it helps me build relationship with clients from a different group, right? So this is not something you're taught in school. Like, hey, by the way, if you speak another country, you can try to like infiltrate a group of people from the same country, and try to bring them in as clients because you can build the relationship easier with them. You share a culture. So it's all about finding what's unique to you. And we have a process to help people do that, right? So we go through questions and we find out there's different pillars to it and what kind of experience do you have? What skill sets do you have? Let's create what I call them. They're like their superpower, right? So what's completely unique to them. So now you know what makes you unique. So it's not like you're a factory worker that just came out of school and you guys all have the same degree because we are unique. We have to embrace that. So let's find out what it is. That makes you more valuable, let's say, as an employee than somebody else because of that specific combination that you have so this will give you a bargaining chip This is going to give you leverage to negotiate so once you know that then you go and you do your research so find out exactly how much other companies other places are offering even sometimes other places like if you're willing to relocate same job sometimes will pay more if you're going to a different city obviously there's other things to consider like cost of living and so on but do your research and make sure that you come prepared so when you do come to that meeting you can say with confidence and with strength like hey I would like to be paid another 10, 20, $30,000 a year. And I can justify that because I can add this much, let's say to your bottom line, just because I have this specific skill set. I can bring in my sales because to continue with, you know, the culture analogy, because you know what, I can go after that group of people who share the same culture as me, and I can bring them onto our business. And this could be with anything, right? You just have to find where it is that you have leverage to negotiate to demand more pay. And don't be afraid, you know, be gentle about it. You have to, I don't believe that being rude about anything really helps, but never be afraid to ask. And if it's a no, it's a no. And that's okay. And that's just part of business. Getting a no is not something that's really bad. And a lot of people are really afraid of this. So one exercise that we do is that there's one day where I send out my clients and I tell them, you're going to go into random businesses and you're going to ask them for free stuff. Straight up. (laughs) Like, don't be afraid you're going to get through rejection. Success rate in a lot of things is 10% is a a pretty good success rate. It's a good hit rate, whether you're in sales, whether you're online, conversion rates and all that. So 10 to 20 is great. So that means you're going to get a no like eight to nine, 10 times, right? So go ask for free coffee. And you'd be surprised how many times you can actually get free stuff. So that's just to train you to not be afraid of rejection and to just move on. It's a hit rate. That's okay. So when it comes to your job and negotiating your salary, get rid of the fear. Don't worry about it. And do your research. Know what you can demand and say, you know what? this other company is paying more and this is business like i'd love to stay but you have to give me a reason to stay as well like we have to work together this is a two way street it's not just like i'm employed and you know i owe you everything so that's it and most of the time this works very well sometimes it has actually i will say this because i want to be honest with you honest sometimes i have seen people have to end their employment after having this conversation and this is not to scare people this is to show people that if your employer doesn't necessarily see that much value in you knew, and they decide to let you go because you asked for a raise, well, then maybe there's something better out there for you. I don't believe anybody should stay chained to a position because they asked for a couple bucks more. Like, I know it's sufficient. You don't have to be to lose your position because you asked for a better rate. And so every single time this has happened, I'm happy to say that the person ended up finding something much better, that paid better, gave better flexibility. So in the moment, it was very scary. But ultimately, it really, really benefited them. And that's the thing in life, right? We're used to having these jobs. We're used to having the stability. But sometimes that stability comes at a cost. And we have to be aware of that. Some people don't want to go through that. And that's completely fine. But there's nothing wrong with asking, even for just a little bit more. Ask for one extra vacation a day if you don't want to go negotiate too hard. And then from there, you get the hang of it. And you can ask for more and more and more, but also provide more. So it's not just about asking. It's about giving too. What can you give in return? to show value and validate the fact that you're asking for more.
0: Yeah, I like all those tips. And I, I, now I feel like going to Starbucks or wherever and asking for like free <laughs> stuff just to see what happens.
1: Well, you can start on your birthday, right? Cause I think they give free stuff on your birthday. Oh, that's so true. Get-
0: I wanted to ask about debt and any tips mm-hmm. you have for that. I've actually done, I'm assuming you're familiar with Dave Ramsey for and sure. financial peace. I took that class, I want to say three years ago. I, I feel like his program works pretty well, but I'm curious what kind of suggestions or tips you have for people who, are in debt and ways to get a handle on that
1: of course and it it all starts with facing it so a lot of people tend to they get overwhelmed right so they delay it and they kind of put it aside or they pay just the minimum so it starts there pay more than the minimum i'm sure you learned that with him Dave is great with that. And we use a similar thing called like a snowball, right? So we really try to build momentum. And I'll explain that in a minute. But the first thing to understand when it comes to money is that money is always moving money is actually not static. So that bill you hold that looks like it's static, but it's not static. So money is either growing for you, for somebody else with your payments, or it's losing its value due to inflation. So if you're in debt, you're making somebody else money. And in our modern world, especially in the United States, you're making somebody else a lot of money with the crazy levels of interest rates that we deal with. So paying the minimum actually means that you're often just carrying that debt. It's kind of made to pay very little of the principal balance and just carry the interest so that imagine after a year or two or whatever, how long. You've paid thousands of dollars and you've put in so much time and so much stress. And as you know, sometimes it keeps people up at night and you realize that you actually haven't really made a dent. Like you owe up close to the same amount, maybe a little bit less. That's what happens with minimum payments. So the first thing is to familiarize yourself with what your situation is, is to face it. So everybody can get a free annual credit report. And a lot of people don't do this. A lot of people don't even know about it. There's no class guys. It's like you literally log in online, you put in your information, Do it with a reputable organization like Equifax, right? These big known names, they're international. They basically centralize all your credit information. They create a credit report and that's what companies use to determine your credit worthiness and whether they should give you more credit or not. A lot of people don't do this. They will not get their credit report. They're scared to look at it. So get it every single year and make sure it's accurate because I myself have found things on mine and on clients that was not accurate. And like this can mean you get to decline for a mortgage, for something that five, six, seven, eight years old that does not belong there and that is weighing you down financially and is preventing you from growing your wealth. So get your report, make sure it's accurate and then figure out exactly what it is that you're dealing with. So then what I do is that we do a snowball payment schedule. So our entire system is based on the fact that human beings are supposed to be rational beings when it comes to money. We are rational to a point, right? Because if it was always so perfect people wouldn't even get in debt in the first place because they would realize okay maybe i'm gonna make more money for it in the future and we can justify in whatever way but if you don't have it right now you shouldn't necessarily get in debt and especially with such high levels of interest rate and how much it's gonna cost you in the long run and on and on and on so we spend and sometimes we spend money that we don't have so getting out of debt starts first with working on your psychology and that's changing your behavior so We do that with a snowball, which means you take your smallest balance account logically you should take your highest interest account because that's the most expensive that that you have but most times this also is the most overwhelming one to people and so you know they'll make payments and they're big payments and like they get exhausted and then they fall off the wagon and then you miss a payment and then you know your roller coaster debt payments do not help you in the long run so we start with the smallest balance account you make more than the minimum and you kill that account as soon as possible and i use a tool it's not mine i actually it online it's free and i recommend everybody use it it's called undead.it and they'll create a whole program for you. So this is great. You get your credit report first because you're going to need the information on that. You're going to need your balances, your interest rate, and so on. You need to know how much you can afford to allocate from your income to paying your debt on a sing- on every single month. And then you plug that information in and they'll literally create you a payment schedule that you just follow. And I recommend automating it too. Like, you know, from your, on every single day you have a paycheck you just schedule it in your bank. So you don't even need to look at it. This gets done automatically. Automating your finances is amazing because it takes away a lot of the emotional aspects out of it. And so this will kill that account faster than anything else. And this program will show you how much quicker you can get out of that and how much interest you're saving by following this system. And this is a very popular system. I didn't come up with this. I studied it when I was growing in my career. We use it with clients and I use it with my clients because I find that's the one that has the most success. So as soon as you get rid of one account, people feel really rewarded and then they feel motivated to keep on going. And within a few years, most of people are able to completely get out of debt. And so once you're out of that, then you make that money work for you, right? So it moves from working for somebody else and making somebody else money to working for you. So start by getting your credit report, use these online free calculators for snowball strategies. You can look them up, there are everywhere. Undebt.com, it is my favorite one. Find your plan, automate it and forget it. And within, and time goes by, you know, like it's been a year since we've been in this crazy pandemic, over a year, right? Time goes by, before you know it, It'll be taken care of, but you have to stop ignoring it, which is what most people do or paying the minimum. Don't ever do that. Again, with the snowball, also, it's important to mention that you don't, if you have more than one account, you don't neglect the other ones. You still make the minimum because you need to keep that going, but you pay more than a minimum in a specific account, the smallest one, so you get rid of it, it rewards you, and then you can go and tackle the bigger ones.
0: Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of undebt.it. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out though.
1: Yeah, you don't even have to create an account. It's really just like wow. an open platform. They do have parts where you can create the account. But for the snowball calculator specifically, you just plug in your information. and that's Oh, it. awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you had mentioned once your debt's paid off, then make your money work for you. And mm-hmm. do you mean like by putting your money into stocks or 401ks or what are the different ways that you recommend making your money work for you?
1: Absolutely investing. And I don't recommend that anybody tries to invest on their own unless you are completely passionate about it and knowledgeable about it, because it actually is it's quite complicated and you know you could just kind of buy into the overall american markets like in the s p and an index and so on i won't get important people with the details and you could do well but it's complex right and there's a reason why advisors charge so much so the reason why i recommend is doing with a professional is because it will pay for itself over the long term and you have to start as early as possible Now, it used to be completely inaccessible to people. I mean, when I was working in the corporate world, unless you had a million dollars, we wouldn't even have a conversation. We wouldn't even pick up the phone. It's sad. It's horrible. And those are the people that need the help, right? They need to grow their money. They need to learn how to do it. Now, thanks to technology, there's great online platforms like robo-advisors and online advisors where they leverage technology to manage your portfolio. And because it's a hybrid system, most of the time they use technology and human. The human advisor does less of the management work so th- they can charge you less and so you benefit from getting professional portfolio management and really getting a growth on your money without you paying you know the crazy fees that we've seen up until you know the past few years There's great platforms that you can use like Betterment and Wealthsimple. They all have different programs. It's like banks, right? You have to do your research and see which one feels best for you. But definitely, I would recommend using an online advisor. Now, how to do this, what accounts and so on, they'll also help you through that process because it's not as simple as just putting your money into an account and making it grow. Money can be a bit more complex than that, especially because of taxes. Now, the first thing for anybody who is moving on from paying off debt and making that money grow for them, if they're employed, is to get an employer match contribution plan. So what this means is in your 401k, every time you make a contribution, your employer will match that contribution. So there's always terms to this, right? It's usually, you know, they'll give you a small percentage up until a small, even smaller percentage of your salary. But this is free money. And I've seen people, we build projections and we tell you, if you keep going like this, this is how much you're going to retire with. I've seen people double their retirement fund just because they got on these programs. So this is free money from your employer. It's absolutely imperative to use this. So if you're employed, the first thing tomorrow is to look into what programs they offer and to start putting a little bit into that account. Now, most people don't grow wealth because they don't think they're wealthy to begin with, and you cannot become wealthy unless you start. Time is what will make money grow. Time in the markets, time invested. So we built a really cool little projection plan where five hundred dollars a month until retirement will help you retire a millionaire. Like it's not that complicated. Five hundred dollars a month. A lot of people five hundred dollars a month is too much. They cannot afford to put five hundred dollars a month away to a retirement fund. You know, we have we have life, we have things that we need to pay. And we can't afford to just put that cash away for retirement in twenty, thirty, forty years, whatever. So if that's your case, then absolutely, we need to talk about growing your income, right? We discussed a little bit increasing the salary. And then the next best thing I've seen my clients do is with business. So you having this podcast and helping people through starting an entrepreneurship journey and starting a business is amazing because the sooner you start, the sooner you go through the growing pains and the sooner you can see how you uncap your earning potential because jobs are great, but they are capped. You cannot make more than what your salary is and you can work more hours, but there's a limit to that. And it's just the cap. So if anybody wants to make more, absolutely do your research, see what you can do. Like I said, about negotiating salary, it's the same thing. Where can you add value to the world? What unique value can you bring and where can you create products? How can you help people and charge them for that in a way that makes you feel good. And that makes them feel good and helps everybody. It's not so complicated but it does take starting and start with the professional because on your own, it's way too overwhelming. You'll get
0: lost. And you're just going to give up. Unfortunately, that's what I've seen most people. I, I think that's great about, you know, starting a business, even if it's on the side at first, or maybe if your plan is for it to always be on the side, just to have that extra income to put aside, like you're saying. And I know one of the things that you talk about is passive income. I mean, I know there's plenty of ways to make passive income, but what are some of the ways that you recommend or see to have the highest income potential?
1: I think online information products have the best potential right now. So online education has already been taking off for years. And with the pandemic, even more so, a lot of people were home. A lot of people, unfortunately, lost their jobs and they realized that they had to figure something else out. They remembered that the jobs are not necessarily as stable as we've all experienced them to be. And so they're looking to increase their skills. So that's another thing, right? If you can't find any specific skills, well, it's time to get some then. And we are incredible human beings. I'm blunt about this because it's almost like a superpower that human beings have. We can learn about anything. It's incredible. And the internet gives us access to so much stuff. So whether you're learning online or whether you're teaching online, there's always an exchange that can happen there. So online information products, it takes time to create them and it takes time to market them. But once all that is set up, then they don't require so much work, right? It's not like you have to produce it every single time. And there's great platforms that will teach you exactly how to create an online course, how to take the knowledge that you have and package it into a way that is teachable to people. That's by far my favorite way of creating passive income. And I think what happens most of the time is that people get discouraged, right? So we have this immediate and instant gratification culture. You use Amazon Prime or you use all these services to get your things on demand, like Uber or whatever. But we forget that building things that are important and things that last whether it's financially related whether it's business whether it's relationships that takes time and that's okay because that's part of our life journey and so put in the time to create something that is valuable for you it's going to take time to create that product it's going to take time to create that passive income people often fall off the wagon when they spend a year paying their debt and then you know they find that it's still the same or they'll try to invest a little bit and then they don't become millionaires overnight and they're like, ah, this doesn't work. Or they'll try to start a business and then they'll encounter challenges, which we all do. And that's part of it. And that will make you an even better entrepreneur when you think through them and you find solutions because the solutions are out there. You got to just try things and stick to it. Realize that it'll take time. But once it's set. And once you've cracked it, once you've come up with your formula that works, then that's fantastic. Then you're going to wake up to, you know, text messages saying you've received payment. And that's like one of the best feelings ever. I think you have a couple of courses
0: out too, right? Well, I have three books and I'm working on a course right now. It's not out yet. It's on pre-sale right now, but I'll share that with my crew too. That's great. (laughs) The last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about was you had referenced off and on about psychology, the psychology of money and all of that. Can you go into more detail about that? Of course. So we've been talking about it on and on throughout the whole episode here. And this
1: is actually where I recommend people start. So the fact is that as children, we absorb so much just by watching the world, just by, you know, just being with our parents and whatnot. And when we're children up until seven years old specifically is when our view of money gets made. So a lot of us have seen Different sides of money growing up. We've seen some parents be very open about it. We've seen most parents not talk about it or fight about it. And then think about the fact that if it's up until seven, well, they are parents learn from their parents and then they learn from their parents and then so on and so on, right? Most people up until now did not even want to talk about their psychology of money. And so we have these blueprints that are incredibly old that have things like money is the root of all evil. That's the number one belief that people hold about money. Why would anybody want more of the root of all evil? Right? It doesn't make sense. And that's what we have unconsciously operating every move that we make. We touch money on a daily basis, more, many, many times a day in various ways, but we're not prepared to realize what are the unconscious things that we think about it and how we're handling it. So, figuring out what I call what your blueprint is is the first thing. And I think Dave Ramsey talks about this. A lot of people talk about this. I didn't come up with it. I, I actually originally thought I did because I'm like, oh, psychology, money, this, that, this is a blueprint, cool. But then I started researching and I'm like, oh, okay, a lot of people thought about this. So that's cool because it kind of validates that this works. So we go through questions to see what your beliefs are. Where are you limiting yourself in the way you view money, in the way you view your relationship to money? And how can we change that? So, how can we get sort of like a software update on your perspective about money? So, in my process, I created what's called a rich money blueprint, and that has four pillars. So, this includes Looking at your mindset and at your life from a growth perspective as opposed to a fixed mindset. So always understanding that there's more for you to learn and that learning will can translate into bigger money for you, of course. Looking at things in long term, right? We've been talking about how it takes time to build things. It takes time to build a business. It takes time to get out of debt. It takes time to invest and it takes time to grow money. So always think in the long term. And then it's about being positive. If you're always negative about money and if you're always saying, oh, this is too expensive, or I can't afford this. And you always you know, just so heavy about it, Well, it's going to be very hard for you to be creative and find solutions to your money problems. So be positive about it and say, okay, maybe this sucks right now. Maybe I'm in a really bad position, but this is just a chapter in my life. This is not my entire life story. I can do this. Let's be positive about it and let's figure out a solution. And then it's about abundance. So abundance has been used a lot in like the hippie dippy circles recently, which is because it becomes more mainstream. But it really is the difference between thinking in terms of scarcity or abundance, seeing the glass half full or half empty, and realizing that Abundance is not just about money. It's about everything in your life. So it could be the presence of abundant health, the presence of loving relationships. It's just enjoying this natural flow of life. And what I like about that is that when you understand what abundance actually is, you realize that it's naturally occurring in our world and scarcity, which is what most people view money as, is actually a human creation. So we're kind of going against the natural flow of things in the universe that we live in. So this sometimes gets a little bit out there for people, but it's pretty cool too, because it breaks the norms that we're used to when it comes to money. So you realize that, hey, you're part of a bigger thing here. You're part of something that will naturally grow. So your money, just like a tree, yes, it will naturally grow due to the laws of abundance of the world due to the fact that things are always growing naturally you just have to nurture them properly so those four pillars are what what we work with on people it takes a little bit of time to kind of update your mentality about it but then the effects are wonderful because when you do touch money oh my gosh the results are just so much quicker people are so much more open-minded and so much more relieved, and so much more motivated to do that. Imagine if I tell you, okay, well, we got to handle that. But you know, you haven't updated to like a positive, long term, abundant, and all that kind of stuff I just talked about. You could be like, you know, like discouraged. And it's just everything is a downer. And that's what a lot of financial conversations are. They're downers, and they're depressing. And that's why people don't want to talk about it. So we try to bring it into a more lighthearted, in a fun way. We take care of all the mental blocks that you learn throughout your life. We update them with things that are supportive and aligned with growing wealth, and then we get to work. So (laughs) we get to making the payments, we get to starting the business, we get to making more money, and then you actually see all these things in your real life
0: and people get super excited, and that's it. Awesome. Well, man, I really, (laughs) I appreciate your time today. You've gone through all kinds of stuff, like mindset, psychology, debt, passive income, investing, all that stuff. So if people want to learn more about you, they can go to millennialmoneyqueens.com. I'll also have show notes at com forward slash moneyqueen. And I think you had mentioned before we got started that you have a gift. Sure. Yeah. I love giving gifts.
1: So because I mentioned that the money blueprint and the money psychology is really where people should start, even though that's kind of where we ended the episode, I want to give everybody listening a head start, right? So in my book, I have a whole chapter on the money blueprint. So it explains to you exactly how these four pillars works. It explains you the history of what the opposite of the rich money blueprint is. So it's the poor money blueprint. It's thousands of years old. And we've all been carrying this. So we all have to do our fair share to kind of break that so we don't pass it on to our children right and to the next generations so this chapter will teach you exactly how to shift from the inherited very poor and depressing all right, depressing blueprint that most people carry into this very inspiring and motivating rich money blueprint what the four pillars are exercise on how to do that. So that chapter of the book is given for free to everybody listening. You just subscribe on my website and you'll get it on your email box. That's pretty simple.
0: Awesome. I'm going to have to sign up for that as well. So cool. Well, I really appreciate your time today and all your insight. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I had a great time with you today as well, Sarah. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at the forward slash 27Tools. That's dot com forward slash 27Tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners,